There's a lot going on in our country, as if our society was not already in enough turmoil and division. In response to the Supreme Court's ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade, I'm sure that many of you have been shedding proverbial or maybe even literal tears over the weekend, whether tears of joy or tears of anguish. And I know that many people want the church to take a stand and choose a position on things like this, their own position, of course. And many churches have chosen to do this, quite certain that they are right on whatever the issue is. Though generally alienating anyone who does not see things the same way and sometimes turning them away from the church altogether. I guess they see that as acceptable collateral damage for being right. What I keep asking myself is, is it more important to be right or to be like Jesus? Is it more important to confidently proclaim a very partisan position on things, usually contributing to the polarization, distrust, vindictiveness, and even hate that is so prevalent in our society right now? Or is it more important to act like Jesus in the midst of a society that is tearing itself apart at the seams? and show the world around us the meaning of grace, compassion, forgiveness, forbearance, and humility, particularly when we are dealing with issues that are anything but black or white, despite each side's bumper sticker size slogans that try to manipulate us into believing otherwise, and despite each side's claim to have God on their side. You know, part of what made the early church so attractive and so indomitable, despite its small size and its great persecution, was that they became known not for their positions on issues, but for how much they loved not just one another, but anyone who was in need. They refused to operate according to the world's definitions of enemy and neighbor. Instead, they prayed for their enemies, for those who persecuted them, even for those who killed them. They chose the way of Jesus. In my opinion, one of the great problems with the church in America is that we have forgotten the way of Jesus, probably because we decided it wasn't effective enough to get things done. And so instead, we chose the way of the world, using any means necessary to try to win and clinging to our rightness at the expense of our unity and faithful witness to Jesus. This is just as true of the liberal wing of the church as it is of the conservative wing of the church. What about IPC? Who are we going to be? Are we going to join the fray like so many other churches in America, picking up our proverbial weapons, choosing sides, and then going to war with one another? Again? Or are we going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and choose to love one another as Jesus loved us and demonstrate to the world around us a different way, the way of the cross, the way of Jesus. I know that this way often feels like losing in our world, but in reality, it is the only way we will ever win.
So rather than immediately reacting with cheering or outrage, perhaps we should all start by spending a good bit of time in prayer, praying for our country, praying for those who are writing laws, praying for those who are feeling hopeless and don't know what to do about a pregnancy they cannot afford, praying for people and organizations that will provide care and support for families in crisis, praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And perhaps we should spend a bit more time listening to one another. For hearing another person's story and learning where they are coming from can be such an eye-opening and transformative experience. It can certainly make us much more empathetic, compassionate, understanding, and humble. Maybe even a bit more like Jesus. And that, I believe, is what our broken world needs most of all from us all. Would you pray with me? Lord God, have mercy upon us. Forgive us and help us to become more like Jesus. Help us to see one another through his eyes. We ask this in his name. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 25 through 33. 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are continuing in what is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Last week we looked at the younger son and the father's sacrificial efforts to return the son to the father's house after he returned half dead from the distant country, 
having squandered his property in dissolute living, and having lost his identity trying to become someone other than who he really was. But when he gives up his plan to save himself and accepts being found in his father's embrace, the father brings him back to the house and he throws a huge party to celebrate his great joy at having found his lost son. Now, I suspect that there are some of us here this morning who can identify well with the younger brother, either because we still feel lost ourselves or because we once were lost, but now know the joy of having been found by God in Jesus Christ and welcomed by grace alone into the Father's house. The truth is, in affluent communities, there are always a few prodigals among us who have squandered their inheritance in dissolute living. Drugs, alcohol, fancy things, life in the fast lane. But that's not most of us. Now, most of us here this morning worked very hard to get where we are in life. We followed all the rules. We were responsible. We made careful decisions. We've been in church our whole lives. We are elder brothers. Now, the problem with elder brothers and our careful way of living is that we can easily begin to think that somehow we deserve everything we have in life and that we shouldn't have to endure any of the hardships that prodigals invite so wantonly with their reckless way of life. We can even begin to think that somehow God owes us something for our goodness. But all of our hard work and careful living can never make us good in God's eyes. After all, in many ways, good is just a, another word for righteous. And there's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. Certainly not careful living. Something the Pharisees never understood. Now, the only way our lives are ever made right is when we give up our efforts at establishing our own righteousness. And we accept the righteousness that is found only in the arms of our Heavenly Father, through whom we have been adopted as beloved sons and daughters and given a place and an inheritance in our Father's house, something none of us deserve. This is the challenge facing all of us elder brothers. Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the original elder brothers. And they were very upset with Jesus, who was not only welcoming unrighteous sinners, but he was eating with them. So Jesus told them a parable. And he wrote the Pharisees into the story as the elder brother. Now, the elder brother in the story was the dutiful one who remained behind and kept working hard. He was the, the responsible one who always did what he was supposed to do and obeyed all of his father's commandments, towing the line. He was the precise one who always 
kept score. He was, in the words of Mark Twain, a good man in the worst sense of the word. But for beneath his veneer of obedience was a heart filled with bitterness and jealousy and ingratitude. Well, when the older son comes in at the end of the day after having worked so hard out in the field, he hears music and, and dancing going on inside the father's house. There hadn't been music playing in there for a long time. Well, not since his younger brother had broken their father's heart by asking for his share of the family inheritance and then running off to waste it in the distant land. And so he asks one of the servant boys who were outside in the courtyard what was going on. And he said, your brother is home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother can hardly believe what he's hearing. I mean, that, that no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel has the nerve to show his face around here and our father rewards him with a party? He's probably just back trying to take more of my inheritance. He deserves a firing squad, not a feast. And so the older brother becomes furious and refuses to go inside, remaining outside in the darkness. You know, there are few things that can prevent us from entering into the Father's house like our anger. And one of the main reasons that elder brothers become angry is that life has not worked out according to their exacting vision of justice. You see, elder brothers think that we should all get what we deserve. That's why they follow all the rules and work so hard. They're expecting it to pay off. And the older brothers are always upset when their goodness is not rewarded. But nothing irks an elder brother more than seeing someone rewarded for bad behavior. And growing up, I'm sure that many of us experience the utter outrage that comes from watching some of our younger siblings get completely off the hook for something that once got us into huge amounts of trouble. And it is then that we hear the favorite phrase uttered by all indignant elder brothers. You know, it's not fair. And you know what? They're right. They are absolutely right. It's not fair. Life is not fair. And the, but the point of life, of course, is, is not to be right, but to become righteous. Something religious people are often most confused about. We keep thinking those are the same. But again, the only way we become righteous is by making it into the Father's arms. But we, we have to leave our anger at the door. For inside the Father's house, there is room only for joy and for grace. And besides, no one can remain angry for long inside the merciful Father's embrace who refuses to give us what we deserve. 
But in order to let go of your anger, first you have to let go of your need to be right. Because it will always leave you alone in the darkness, outside the party, clinging to your rights, and keeping score of all the ways you've been wronged. Now, in this Middle Eastern culture, the male members of a family were always expected to come out and greet any of their visitors on a social occasion. And this was especially true of the eldest son in a family who had a very particular role to play. So for the older son to refuse to come inside was a, a, a huge personal insult to all the guests. But it was even more a very pointed public insult to his father. And for the father to have to excuse himself from his guests to go out to his son was utter humiliation. And yet, once again, just as he had done for the younger son, the father humiliates himself and goes out to try to reconcile with his other lost son, who was lost not in recklessness and rebellion, but in his goodness and his self-righteous anger. So the father goes out to the elder son and pleads with him to come in and join the party. But the older son insults him again, this time refusing to address him as father. Basically, he says, listen, buster. I've been busting my butt like a slave for you for years. And I've obeyed every one of your commandments to a T. And you've never even given me burgers on the grill to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back after having blown all of your money on hookers, you serve filet mignon for him. It's not fair. Notice that the older brother views his relationship with his father as that of a servant to a master rather than as a son to a father. And interestingly, when the younger son lost his identity in a distant land, he concocted a plan to save himself by becoming a servant of his father's and working his way out of trouble. And here we see that the older brother already viewed himself that way. See, both sons had abandoned their true identity as beloved sons of their father and instead had adopted identities as servants who only get what they deserve. Despite their great differences, both sons had terribly broken relationships with their father. Neither of them wanted to serve and love their father for his own sake, but only for what he could do for them. You see, we can be just as alienated from God, whether we recklessly flout all of God's commands 
or we work so hard to carefully keep them. And in the words of Tim Keller, if, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to, to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. In the church, we often give great lip service to the grace of God, but deep down, many of us are still counting on being rewarded for our goodness and our efforts. We're still trying to be our own savior. But in the end, that will always leave us feeling angry and bitter, which will prevent us from entering the celebration. Remember, there is no room for those things in the Father's house. Now notice also how the older brother referred to his younger sibling when he spoke to his father. He called him this son of yours. For you see, he was incapable in the darkness outside the father's house of viewing his younger sibling as his brother, as family. And that made it so easy to demonize him. And so he accuses his brother of, of having blown all of their father's money on prostitutes, but he doesn't know that. He's been out in the field all day. He's just trying to, to make his brother out to be as bad as possible because it will justify his feelings and his actions. For truth is often the first victim to be sacrificed on the altar of our anger or our hurt. And as soon as we stop viewing one another as family, which always happens in the darkness, it becomes so easy for us to, to demonize, even tied to destroy those who are different from us, those who disagree with us, those who view aspects of our faith differently than we do. So even in the church, the liberals demonize the conservatives and the conservatives demonize the liberals. Those who love traditional worship demonize those who want contemporary worship and those who love contemporary worship demonize those who only want traditional. Those who would like to see more change take place in the church demonize those who want things to stay just the way it's always been. And those who like things just the way they are demonize those who want to see more change. Those who support traditional marriage demonize those who support same-sex marriage. And those who support same-sex marriage demonize those who only believe in traditional marriage. Those who believe in a woman's right to an abortion demonize those who are pro-life. And those who are against abortion demonize those who are pro-choice. And so we all stand alone outside in the darkness because we have refused to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ who all belong together in our Father's house where none of us deserve to be. It's okay. 
but to be clear, accepting those who differ from us in the family of God does not mean we have to give up believing that we are right. There is nothing wrong with believing that we are right about something and even trying to do something about it. It does mean, however, that we have to stop worshiping that belief, deifying that belief, and allowing it to alienate us from one another. After all, we cannot truly receive our Heavenly Father's embrace without also demonstrating the same kind of forgiveness and willingness to reconcile which the Father has shown us in Jesus Christ. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus, but cannot stop clinging to our need to be right in our rights, if we cannot stop demonizing those who differ from us, if we cannot put our common identity as children of our Heavenly Father above our, our complaints about unfairness and injustice, then we are deceiving ourselves. And we have not surrendered to Jesus. We are still in the darkness, outside the Father's house, waiting to get what we think we deserve, living as ungrateful servants rather than joyful heirs of the kingdom. This is why the very first thing the father says to the older brother is, son, reminding him of his true identity and assuring him of his place and his inheritance in the father's house, son. You are always with me. And all that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. And then the story abruptly ends. We don't know what happens next. Does the, the older brother give up his need to be right and accept being found in his father's arms? Enter into the party and receive his brother with joy and grace? Or does he remain outside in the darkness, stewing in his anger, alienated from his family and missing out on the celebration. Well, that's, that's really up to you. After all, there is an elder brother somewhere in each of our hearts desperate to see our vision of justice carried out and longing to be recognized and rewarded for our goodness and our hard work. But be very sure, neither of those things will ever bring us 
any real joy in the end. Now, true joy is found in receiving a righteousness that you did not deserve, but that is found in the arms of our Heavenly Father, who in the person of Jesus Christ has come searching for you, whether you are lost in the sins of debauchery or in the far deadlier sin of self-righteousness. And he's inviting you to give up your anger and your need to be right and your desire to get what you think you deserve and to come into the light where your brothers and sisters are all waiting to share with you the true and lasting joy that can only be found in our Father's house. The party is already underway. Don't miss it.